another episode. Here we are again. And today uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about um, the Yoruba people and uh, Yoruba medicine and ancient African healers. So I hope you're ready for that. It is taking me a little while to record. Um, It's just the way it is. But never fear, we're back again. So and I, I like to talk a lot about uh, ancient African tradition and medicine uh, because I feel that it is the root of many other traditions as well. And we can all learn something from it. Not only that, you know, the Yoruba people are actually my ancestors, but I, I like to talk about them. And if you think that that's not for you, then feel free to not listen to the show. And my apologies. Uh, Well, I'm not going to apologize. This is my show, and this is what I'm going to do on my show. So herbal medicine, if you don't know, herbal medicine is an African tradition, which depended upon natural surroundings for food, nutrition, and medicine. It's gotten away from a lot of us... uh, black people and just uh, people in general who in other cultures have gotten away from this reliance, this dependence upon our natural surroundings. But it is comforting to see that there is a resurgence, a return to gardens, herb gardens and gardens outside, especially now that we're in the COVID crises, a lot of people have decided that they would rely upon more upon the earth and grow their own food instead of going into stores and possibly getting infected or infecting someone else. Myself, I've always been a gardener and I love it so much. And up here in New England, when it gets cold, I get very sad when December comes, when when the winter weather comes and it gets very cold and I can't go out to my garden and plant things, I get sad. I have indoor house plants, but this year I decided uh, that I would grow herbs and leafy vegetables inside. I've used these stackable stackable garden trays so that I, I don't have to, because inside the house I you know, have a, a big garden like I do outside and I wouldn't want to do that anyway unless I had a greenhouse attached to the house, which I don't. So that I'm growing now uh, collards, kale, lettuce, um, lots of different herbs, rosemary, lemon balm, cilantro, a slew of other edible plants, edible herbs, in addition to my other medicinal things that I, medicinal plants that I've always have, like aloe, and uh, others. So I'm, I'm, 
I, it makes me feel really good and so refreshed when I sub, submerge myself into nature and our natural surroundings. And it's very healing. It's very healing. And just like in, any, in many other situations, African medicine, culture, and traditional religious practices have been ignored, dismissed, and even demonized. For instance, someone will all of a sudden go to African religion and they'll be a part of it, hoodoo, voodoo, any of the ATRs. And then they may find out that it's not for them. So they may go back to Christianity or wherever they were and then talk badmouth the ATR. And that's not cool. That's not right. For example, um, uh, Mamiwata voodoo. Um, I remember when I was, when she was calling to me and beckoning me to take up the staff and join my ancestors and participate to talk to her, to gain her wisdom. I didn't know who she was at all, but then I looked her up on Google and just and it's so terrible. I'm glad I didn't fall for the negative information. Um, there's this dark air about information. And do you know why that is? Okay. Uh, our, our culture was demonized. When, when the slaves were brought, when the Africans, West Africans, Africans were brought here as to be slaves, brought to the United States to be slaves and other places as slaves, the slave owners forbid them to practice their religions, uh, culture, etc. And they demonized it. They demonized it so that the future generations that were come, coming up would, would not want to participate in their culture and their ancestral culture because of the negativity that's attached to it. And that's why that there are so many young people who are confused and there are some people, some of us black people in churches, and I've known some, I've met some, who look poorly upon hoodoo and voodoo when that's because it's been so demonized and it's dark and which is totally not true. African healers, they're in Africa, in ancient African societies, would orally pass down their herbal wisdom. And so there wasn't really a record of this. So to be able to prove that ATR was not bad. Now, for thousands of years, many people of the African continent had a faithful and confident dependence on the use of various plants of the earth for the alleviation and avoidance of certain chronic and acute illnesses. Like healers in many cultures of the world, the African herbalists have drawn on a large body of knowledge in the course of 10,000 years. And still, the world has ignored and overlooked the African contribution to medicine and the healing arts. And they've, been, they've demonized them. But, but there is a, a lot of more people speaking out these days uh, in order to um, that uh, showing people that it's not what 
what is it's not the negativity that is uh, spread spread around about it. It's not. One of the oldest and most fascinating systems of medicine on the planet was developed by the Yoruba people, the excuse me, Yoruba people of Western Nigeria. Those are my people. With scattered groups in Benin and Togo, Africa. Again, I'm also, um, I have ancestry in Nigeria and Benin and Cameroon. So uh, the Yoruba people and the Igbo people are my ancestors. And part of the, uh, and I'm also of the, Takpa people of the Yoruba, the, the Yoruba people. These are the people who were near the water, who had, uh, they were more water people. They were near the water. They're, they settled near the water. And those are my ancestors. The Yoruba, the Yoruba trace their origins to the ancient holy city of Ile-Ifa around some 3,000 to 4,000 years ago. I told, I told my kids a story the other day i read them a story the other day about the an african creation creation story and it talked about Ileifa, and that was beautiful for them to learn that and i was happy to be able to find something that i could read to them that talks about our culture now the holy city if you don't know the holy city of the Ileifa the spiritual epicenter of the Yoruba people is the home of one of the most significant traditions of herbal, of herbal healing science of herbal, of herbal healing science. My mouth is very dry today, people. I'm sorry that I keep tripping on my words. The Africans who were brought to the new world right here were already socialized in their own African traditions and healing systems. And they brought with them sophisticated beliefs about illnesses and heal and its healing and adapted these to the new and often brutal circumstances of the transatlantic slave trade. And the new lands to which they were brought against their will, unknown diseases killed thousands and malnutrition came to lie, claimed the lives of many women and children. And those are the people who actually made it across. There were some who, um, you know, there were some who, who uh, jumped, uh, even the ones who weren't at the bottom when they weren't at the bottom of the ship, because there were some. I don't know at what point they decided they were allowed up, but there were some who were not in the, the bottom of the ship and who were probably on the smallest slave ships. And they just jumped. So they said it was rather to die than be in bondage in a foreign country. Now, the African people who arrived in the Caribbean and Brazil encountered infectious diseases such as leprosy, yellow fever, smallpox, and measles. And some of these diseases were familiar. Uh, West Africans had developed partial immunity to some, such as malaria. Others were new and deadly, including diseases native to the New World, as well as those introduced by Europeans. The conditions of slavery ex this, 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 <laughs> the conditions of slavery only enhance the efforts of infectious diseases, producing high rates of illnesses. And so in order to combat these illnesses, African slaves who were trained in traditional African medicine resorted to healing rituals and the use of curative plants found on the islands. African herbalists or bush doctors 
were so popular in the, his, in the history of Venezuela that slave healers were often able to purchase their freedom with the proceeds of their medical practices. That wasn't here. Yoruba medicine, Yoruba medicine, I always say Yoruba for some reason, Yoruba medicine in North America had not been widely studied, but recent interest in traditional African medicine has stimulated new research into the subject. According to oral tradition, Yoruba medicine was founded over 2,000 years ago. And I'll probably, years ago, by the mystic prophet named Oromila, who appeared among the Yoruba people in the ancient holy city of Ife. He brought with him a divine system of ethics, morals, religious beliefs, divination, and herbal medicine. The holy city Ife became a prominent Yoruba spiritual and cultural center. It was here in the Ilaifa that Oromila built his temple on the sacred hill called Oketape, meaning only heaven knows the way to salvation. Oromila's Oromila's teaching were rooted in the re religious text called the Ila, if, excuse me, called the Ifa Corpus or the Book of Cosmic Intelligence. The ancient text is a foundation for Yoruba healing science. The Yoruba live, believe in one supreme being known as Oludamare, the principles of principles. It is said that Oludumare has numerous intermediary spiritual beings known as the Orishas, which were in broad terms similar to the angels of the Bible, the Quran, and the Torah. I told my kids to think of the Orishas like angels. They said, what are they? How can we explain them? And I said, think of them as the angels. And you have, you have the supreme being, you have the angels. And that's sort of what they, I mean, much more powerful, but that's, that's who the Orishas are, although they're much more powerful than that. In the Yoruba healing system, divination is used in the early stages of diagnoses and treatment to determine an individual's personal Orisha and thereafter to determine the will of the Orisha for that person. According to Yoruba healers, divination is the process through which the Orishas diagnose people's health problems and recommend solutions. The Orishas are pure energy of light governed by God, the Supreme Being. Each Orisha has its own drum rhythm, song, foods, herbs, attributes, bodily features, and even dance steps. The Yoruba divination presented a comprehensive theory and practice for balancing the mind, body, and the spirit. While today many Yoruba devo devotees practice the Yoruba rituals passed down by Prophet Orumiya, both Christian and Islamic, teaching, Islamic teachings have become an integral feature of the Yoruba religion. And again, that's adapting where, adapting where, uh, adapting to the surroundings and the, the survival. And also, you know, when the the uh, slaves wanted to try, they would try to would wait at night and try to practice their religion. And, 
they would mask it around with some Christian aspects just in case for protection. We didn't they want it to be found out and they didn't want to get in trouble. So they would do that. So that's also why uh, you'll see in hoodoo and voodoo today that there are many aspects of Christianity and especially, especially some like the New Orleans voodoo and hoodoo. There's a lot of uh, there's angel statues and saint statues in a lot of people's altars. That, that was kind of passed down. Now let's talk a little bit more about plants. Plant, as I said, plants are a part of nature. They are not, plants are a part of nature. They are not separate from nature. And we are nature. Plants live in harmony with nature. And out of this harmony, harmony they are ready, willing, and able to cooperate and assist humanity. They're not just something you plant in the ground and that's it. Without green plants, we wouldn't, we would neither breathe nor eat. We'd die. So the food we consume each year, the bulk of which comes from plants, synthesizes it out of air and earth with the help of sunlight. Now, I'm sure you remember that in science. I remember that in my fifth grade science class, talked about photosynthesis and all that great stuff, how we live from plants. We build our, our homes from plants. Yes, we do. People are like, what? But yes, think of what the materials, think of the wood. Where does the wood come from? All the food, drink, intoxicate, intoxicants, drugs, and medicines that keep, help keep man alive and, if used properly, keep us healthy. According to Europa Healing Science, the life force or spiritual energy surrounding all living things is shareable among plants, animals, and humans. Through such a sharing, through such sharing, a person and a plant become one. This oneness is what makes possible a mutual sensitivity, allowing plants and man not only to intercommunicate but to interact energetically. And I've said many times, we are not separate from anything. We are but particles, atoms, and atoms, little pieces vibrating at a certain speed to create the illusion of a solid, solid physical form. And our particles or atoms interact with people, objects, and we bounce off them, intermix with them. That's how we're Connecticut. We, that's how we are connected. Our energy also interacts. And that's why, you know, when there's someone who has such a, a, a negative energy or you come into contact with someone who has a negative energy or a very toxic draining energy, you actually feel it you can feel it. and that's because your particles are interacting with their particles and you can feel and you bounce off them and some of their energy comes into your your sphere of particles as well and then you can feel it and sense feel it and feel their energy right away every living thing every living thing and no living thing is composed of living parts every living thing that's not, I didn't say that right. Every living thing and those things that are not living, you know, like you things, things that we typically think is not living like a table is composed of living parts, wood, chemicals, substances. Just think of it, break down every object in your home and you'll find living particles are part of it. We are all life. All of us are life. We are all at varying degrees of energy we are all on a journey 
of complete and total unity, back to oneness, back to oneness, this journey back, back to oneness. Whether or not we believe it, that's a different story, but it's true. And once you sit down and think about it, you, you have that light bulb, light bulb moment. Um, it is a fact that humans can and do communicate with plant spirits. You know, the, you know, the, those people that we said, that's, um, I remember growing up, they were always the crazy plant lady and people would laugh. She sings to her plants and talks to, I used to play music for my plants. Uh, when I used to play piano, I would play music for my plants and I think they liked it and they would grow and sing to them and, you know, wipe their leaves and things like that. I would do that. And people thought I was crazy. But honestly, it's our way of connecting with the plant spirits. Plants are living beings connected to the creator. They radiate energy forces that are beneficial to humans. And you can feel these forces. Just you, you can, if you want, if you think about it, if you tune in, you can tune into that energetic feeling you'd be able to feel their forces. They, these forces feed into your own energy field, which in turn feeds back energy to the plant. The Native American shamans were so very aware of these energies. When in need, they would go into the woods. Just go into the woods. I, it's, it's like going, for, I, I like when I go for a walk in the woods, because we're in such a foresty area, on my walks, I, I can feel a, a shift in energy, a shift, and it makes me so happy, and it's so pleasant and peaceful, and I feel so rejuvenated that it, I can be so tired, as I often am with distance learning going on and uh, staying home because I'm high risk with COVID, and I just get so tired. And then I'll go, if I go, I have to make myself sometimes go for work. I said, okay, if I think of how great I, I'm going to feel when I walk through that, that woods, then that would, that would inspire me to get up and go. And I do. And I absolutely feel that when I come back, I feel so energy. When I return home, I feel so energized because I feel that all of nature has given me the energy, the energy that I need it. And now I come back ready to, ready to get back to work, to do what I have to do. When the Yoruba healer wants to gain information about the healing power of a plant, he or she gets in contact with the plant Orisha through a trance. The trance or dream state takes them into the realm of the astral world. In fact, the astral realm, realm is the real world not the world of flesh and bones. The real world is where the plant orishas come and communicate. This is the world of our visions and dreams. Whenever we go into the dream world of the orishas, we are opening a channel of divine communication between us and the plant spirits. As much as we have advanced, we still must get back to our roots, our natural roots. We cannot exist without our natural connection. Our oneness with nature is crucial to our survival. <sighs> so again, about what is a trance? 
people would go into altered states through trance and sometimes through chemical means to have access to the information that the herbs would give them. Sounds were used to invoke the spirits in different plants at a particular frequency or a note. Right? There was a spirit associated with each herb that created that created the healing and these healers knew how to tap into it and knew how to access the spirit something again something also that we've gotten away from it's very sad but that is true now over 70 70 percent of black people cannot digest cattle milk and i'm one of those people why is it um, it's because I'm going to tell you, it's because of my ancestors. My body was not created for that. Okay. This is why this is because we don't, we're not eating our traditional foods or foods that are specifically for our bodies. That's we end up with diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, because it's not our cultural makeup. This fast food is not good for us. Like pizza. I used to love pizza as a kid, but though, you know, but even then I couldn't, it would make me sick. So I grow a lot of the food I consume and then I walk like a mad woman because I need to get rid of the toxins in my body and my body has difficulty or can't digest. Now blacks assimilate food in the intestines differently. Melanin, which is black color pigment, is obviously more abundant in blacks. This melanin aids in protecting blacks from the ultraviolet rays of the sun. It also increases the speed of nerve and brain messages, which is transmitted between the left and the right hemispheres of the brain, and all nerve signals transmitted throughout the body, the bodily nerve network. And if you haven't read this book, I'm going to recommend this book. I'll try, try to remember to put it in the show notes. It's called The Melanated Empath. And that explains a lot about our people and our, our makeup and why we are the way that we are. And the specific characteristics that people don't really attribute to our ancestral lineage. But you'll see the connection once you read it. It's a very good book. Black People's Book. The blood of black people crystallizes different from, you know, Caucasian blood. These are some of the reasons why blacks have unique nutritional, medical, and dietary needs. And after African people were transported into the cities of America and Europe during slavery, their eating habits were changed drastically and suddenly. The result has been chronic and metabolic diseases of all kinds, like I mentioned, diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity. The food shelves of black Americans are now lined with high carbohydrate foods that have been processed, refined, synthesized, artificially flavored, and loaded with chemical preservatives. Just go to the supermarket in a black neighborhood and look at some of the food there. I'm telling you, I'm serious. It is shameful. I keep, uh, I, you know, there's certain sugars and certain foods that are cancer causing. And, you know, if you go to the, like a Walmart in a uh, economically challenged, mostly 
predominantly African-American and Latino neighborhood, brown people neighborhood, you'll see some of this harmful stuff that's, there's, there's so much of it. It's so much of it. And I, I said, I think they're trying to kill us. <laughs> Why do we have this, this unhealthy garbage in our stores? Why, where's the Whole Foods? Where, I mean, I don't really like Whole Foods, but um, I like other places that are, don't have the snobbish aspect to it. Because the Whole Foods in our, our state, I, I, go, I went to all of them. And for some reason, some of the people in there were not exactly friendly. But anyway, why why don't they have a nice store like that, a, nat- a natural health store that's affordable in some of these low-income areas that are predominantly black and brown people? Why have all the high-carbohydrate food, the fatty food, the food with the, can- the, the cancer-causing sugars, knowing that our bodies are not, it's not part of our cultural makeup, and because of that, because when we consume that food, we end up with shorter lifespans, we end up very obese, high blood pressure, diabetes. Honestly, it's true. We have, I can go all day about that. Most African Americans assume that it makes little difference what they put into their stomach as long as they are full. And that's ridiculous. All right, you see it at holiday season and stuff, eating all that, you know. I, let me tell you, I had this friend once, and I would tell her to stop eating that fried chicken. She'd have so much fried food, and then her face would break out, and all these uh, pimples on her skin was disgusting. And then she'd put makeup on top of it, and you could still see these big pimples and things on her face. She was, and I said to her, you need to stop eating that fried food because that's not good for you. Our pe- Even though stereotypically... It's it's begin a, a accepted uh, societal stereotype that black people eat fried chicken. No, okay, it's not part of our cultural makeup. Our African ancestors they weren't eating fried chicken, and we have the, that body. We, we didn't change. We may speak English or speak whatever because we're over here now because because thanks of to the trans slave trade, but we have the same bodies of our ancestors. Okay, we have that that makeup, and it, they were not hanging around in Africa eating fried chicken. No, okay, there was cassava. There's nice things like cassava and fufu and all these other nice things and other health plants and things that were eaten. So we need to eat better, and just and eat until you're full is not cool. And especially, you know, I'll talk about my, my Southern people. All right. Chitlins and stuff. No. Just no. Um, the grease. Uh, you know, chop that fat off off the chicken, please. Off the meat. Don't eat that. It's not good for you. And uh, just, just, you know, you don't have to sit there and gorge yourself. You don't. You don't. Our people didn't do Our people were, were, were doing stuff. So, and one of the leading culprits in the way uh, in the way of poisonous food eaten by Black Americans is soul food. Soul food, come on! Too much. I mean, putting sticks of butter in your green beans. Come on! 
you don't need all those sticks of butter in your green beans. That's not good for you. It's how you end up with heart heart problems. I wouldn't say heart disease, but heart problems and oh, just high blood pressure. I mean, all that cholesterol, not good. Oh, it just makes my stomach hurt thinking about that. But look, I had to learn too. I grew up with, with parents who came from the South. And let me tell you, some of that, oh boy. I mean, I wouldn't, they didn't, they were good with meat. They didn't have the fat and stuff on the meat and everything. But when I'd go visit my relatives down, some of them in the, in the country, some of them were not trying to take the fat off the meat. And I was like, oh boy. And I didn't like it because it was gross. I looked gross and it was ill. And I just didn't like the taste. But um, fat back, you don't need to be eating fat back. It, you can, I mean, come on, you don't eat that. I don't even see that. I used to, before I learned a lot of stuff, I used and how my body paid attention to my body. I would season my my green beans and stuff like that with fat back. And then I learned, no, don't do it. Were my ancestors doing that? I doubt it. Ham, potato salad, French fries, pork chops, shitlands, collards, and oh, pig feet. I've had pig feet cornbread black eyed peas and hog maws all of these foods they don't have to be cooked the way they are but they're cooked and laced in one they're cooked in one or laced with pork fat you know fat back milk eggs butter salt is fine and spices are fine but the sugar you don't need to put all that sugar refined sugar get that out of there these foods are not compatible with our biochemical makeup. I'm going to say that again, people. These foods are not compatible with our biochemical makeup. Our African ancestors were not running around. We're, we're not eating chitlins. All right? With chitlins that were laced with lard. Oh, my goodness. Milk lard and butter or pork fat no no okay but i have to tell you i, I remember growing up i when my before my parents divorced and stuff my my father had this habit of you know those big crisco containers the crisco stuff back in the day C-R-I-S-C-O. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, but we had Crisco. And when, and you, you know, put it in the food or uh, cook in it, you know, fry stuff in it. And then they would take it after you finish, you know, frying with it and dump it back in the jar. Okay. And it would do all weird stuff and use it again. And I, oh my gosh. And that's what I thought we had to use to fry food, chicken. And I used to, and then when I started living on my own and I started doing that, I said, this is nasty and it's wrong. So I quickly, quickly stopped that. But I knew a lot of people on, in my family who had that Crisco, that big, big old crystal Crisco thing on their counter. And they would take the stuff out and put it in. Uh, but, you know, lard, sometimes lard was used to, for the scalp and you know so it wasn't actually not all the time was it um consumed it was used for the scalp if you wash your hair just lightly layer the scalp because they didn't have money to go 
hair cream and scalp cream and stuff. They just used, they had whatever they had, lard and put it in. To me, that was too heavy, but that's what would happen. Um, and it was hot, 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 hot. So I guess that was good. I mean, it was hot, a hot weather, hot climate that, you know, my, my folks, my people grew up in, in the South. I'm not talking about Africa, my African people. I mean, the, the descendants uh, of slaves and slaves themselves here, what they did. But again, all that stuff, all the food that I just talked about is not compatible with our biochemical makeup. And it is responsible for many of the diseases that we suffer from today. Now, when I say this, people start rolling their eyes and they don't want to listen to me. And they said, oh, you're trying to act white, blah, blah, blah. I had one of my brothers said that to me one time, made me so mad. And it's like, you done got up north and you're acting white and blah, blah, blah. No, no, I'm not. Okay. And how do you do that anyway? I'm acting like me. And I know what my, I know my ancestors didn't, they didn't have all this stuff and that our biochemical makeup uh, it needs to be taken seriously if we want to live long, healthy lives. And what are we teaching the people, the kids who are coming up behind us? What are we showing them? That being healthy is acting white? That's, a, that's really dumb. You honor, honor in our ancestors by taking care of our, ourselves and um, learning uh, about ATR, African medicine, learning how to communicate with our natural surroundings and how to give, give and take and thank and, you know, be grateful. What I'm saying, what does that mean? When you take from the earth with your garden or whatever, you give back to the earth and you thank, you thank the plant. Don't take more than you need. Like when I, my garden, we had peas up until last month. <laughs> we had so many peas. I planted them in uh, April and Every, I was going out there, we had so many peas. And I was so grateful for the abundance. And I did give gratitude. And how did I give back? By taking care of the plant, making sure it was watered, making sure it had enough nutrients. Um, and there were several plants, making sure they had enough nutrients or in the right spot, making sure the soil was healthy. That's how we take care. And show my gratitude. Before I eat it, I thank the universe and thank Mother Earth and the ancestors, all of them. And, and I thank Mommy Water, everyone for all of it i know i went on and on but i'm, I'm very passionate about uh, my ancestry especially I'm, I'm very passionate about learning from the ancestors i talk about it a lot with my clients when their ancestors come through i i communicate what their ancestors want to them to know our ancestors do communicate with us whether or not you realize it or you choose to ignore it. That's on you. But we do have to honor them. We have a job to fulfill by honoring them, by listening to them, by learning from them and teaching, the, teaching those who are coming up behind us so they too can teach theirs and so on and so forth. And it's very important because they do want us to be prosperous and live happy, healthy lives. But when we choose to ignore them and, and think that everything is made up and not real, that's when we mess up ourselves and that's our own fault. So please, I'm going to wrap this show up. 
And I thank you uh, for listening. I'm going to put in the show notes this book, these two books that I really think, especially those of you who are of, um, who have African ancestry and want to learn more about African herbal medicine, ATR, then you, um, you can, I, you can look at those books. I probably can get them on Amazon, load them to your Kindle and everything, but I'll put the links in the show notes. In the meantime, I'll talk to you. In the meantime, stay healthy, stay well. Remember to take time away to meditate, to commune with the ancestors and to try to learn, get out in nature. I know we're in COVID, but that shouldn't stop you from getting outside in nature. Wear your mask. Okay, wear your mask. Don't try to be brave because it's not brave. It's stupid. When you don't wear your mask, it's just plain stupidity. I'm sorry if you offend it. I'm not apologizing, but that's, if you, if you don't want to think about me, then, or, or other people around you, you'd be selfish and you don't care about yourself, then that's on you. Anyway, thank you for listening to another episode of Magic and Medicine. It's all good, Magic Mysticism and Earth Medicine. Until we speak again, everyone.